Hello, and welcome to another episode of PPC Town Hall. My name is Fred Valles. I'm your host. I'm also the co-founder of Optimizer. And uh, last week, we had a great session. There was a lot of talk about automation and how Google is changing things. Really well-attended session. And we thought we'd continue in that vein and talk to two people who've just come up with a new report that's talking about digital marketing in a VUCA world. And VUCA stands for Volatile, Unstable, complex and ambiguous. And I think we can all certainly agree that 2020 has been exactly that kind of uh, VUCA year. So uh, so what does that mean? Right, so we're going to talk about some of the um, unstableness and the, the, the constant change that's happening, but we're also going to talk about automation. And this is a trend that we've long been seeing where the engines are just moving more and more towards automating the tasks that we've done. Uh, the authors of the report talk to a lot of agencies, a lot of experts. So what they have to share, I think, is going to be really amazing. And as a special thank you for watching the session with us live today, we're going to have a couple of, uh, uh, we, we will give you that report for free for the first 20 people who go to the, the website with the code that we'll be sharing with you. So stay tuned. We'll have that code towards the end. But uh, let's go talk about digital marketing in a VUCA world. Lucas, others, welcome. Thanks for joining us on the show today. Thank you. Thanks, Fred. Where are you guys calling us uh, from today? I'm in California. Uh, so I'll start. I'm, I'm in London, which has been quite a sunny day so far, but it's literally just changed to quite a storm. So I'm hoping there's not going to be any background noises, but uh, <laughs> it's been quite interesting in the last 10 minutes. Okay, well, welcome from London. Good to hear that you uh, finally don't have rain for a change. <laughs> in honors, we had you on a couple of weeks ago, right? Are you still in Paris? Still in Paris, and uh, yeah, we're expecting uh, announcements from the president uh, in a couple of hours about you know how VUCA the the coming uh, weeks are going to be. Uh, it's probably locked down again, so um, yeah, tough times these days. Yeah, so I'm calling in from uh, from Paris. I'm I'm Danish, uh, but I've been in France for more years than you know, I lived in Denmark. So quite the quite the European. Vous parlez français mieux que <laughs> well, good. Yeah, I speak a little bit of French because I'm Belgian. It's uh, one of the languages we're required to learn uh, originally. <laughs> French, so. But uh, but good. Yeah. So VUCA World. So tell us a little bit about the report before we jump in. Uh, why did you decide to write this report? The um, sort of the the, the report idea uh, started out. Uh, Two and a half, three years ago, I sold my my uh, last agency uh, back then. I it was bought up by Accenture. You know the, what was left of it was bought up by by Accenture after having been acquired by another company. Um, and it was my time to move out of the agency business and, and do something else. And what what I really wanted to do was to find and share uh, digital marketing insights um, as a as a as an agency uh, leader and agency founder, I was always looking out. I was going to conferences. I was listening to you, Fred, uh, and I, I was looking for insight. I was looking for digital marketing insights. What's going to happen next year? What works this, this year? Uh, what about all these things that the engines are coming out with, with you know, all the media owners are, are suggesting, all the technology owners are suggesting? What, how, do you, how do you sort through that and find what is good 
and what is bad. So that was the original idea. I was always also judging uh, search awards, other digital marketing awards, and I saw so much good stuff that I wanted to share. And basically, you know, if, if you've ever been to a, uh, an award ceremony, it's like, well, and the winner is, and you get a name, and, and it was, I felt that frustrating. I wanted to share stuff. Yeah, exactly. How did they win, right? Sorry? What, how did they win? What's the secret of uh, how do so, I get there? Absolutely. I see. So recently, I see, you know, uh, voices saying, oh, uh, you know, you just have to pay and then you'll win an award. And I, you know, as a judge, I totally don't agree with that. So I, I'm taking fights there. <laughs> but anyway, I, I wanted to start. I, I think it's a little bit, it, it is a weird space, right? Because the award ceremonies, they make money by selling tickets to the award show. So I think most people, and actually correct me on this, like does everyone who nominate themselves, if they're like, if they have a pulse, do you get shortlisted? Or is there even like sort of a cutoff at that first level? So, so there is a cutoff, but it depends how many entries there are. So, uh -huh. you know, so many categories. So, so it, it is not really difficult to be nominated somewhere. Uh, so, what I really focus the nominations on are self-nominated, right? So, so there's a you know, the, like if you look at, at categories like uh, best PPC uh, campaign, for example, there will be you know I don't know how many entries. But typically, maybe 25, 30, 50 entries, and there's only like a, a short list of maximum ten. So, so they will be the best of that those fifty, uh, and then the winner will really be you know the best in the within those ten. But in, in other categories, there can be less entries, so there will be right. you know, less competition to be shortlisted. So I wasn't we weren't looking at shortlisted; we were looking at award wins. So what we do in the research is yeah, I, I'm, I'm happy to hear it. Nice, <laughs> we won one right there. Right? <laughs> Yeah, I'm not, I don't. I so I don't even remember if I if I judged that one. I'm not sure. <laughs> I probably read the entry. Um, uh, do we catch up just like this straight away? Do we what? On the screen. Why this name VUCA? Oh yeah. Okay. Let me put the. Uh, okay. So great question from the audience. So why VUCA? Right. So let's talk about VUCA. So honors so, will explain that. Yes, yeah, I got lost there. But the, so the story of it is, look into insights. Find experts. Uh, survey award-winning teams so that you know the best way to find teams is to say okay who won an award and then uh, ask them uh, what's going on what are the trends uh, so why VUCA um, so uh, when we started out looking at this report actually we started out looking at PPC trends in the market right Lucas yeah. <laughs> that, that was the original idea and um, and this tip ended up being no, not just PPC, but digital marketing overall. And in the VUCA world, because the major major trend that we were seeing was that everything was you know chaotic, uh, volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous. When I first saw this th these four words there, I was like, well, this really describes the world that we're living in. And and we were interested in you know what does it do to the data? What does it do to this already? you know constantly changing sector of digital marketing right. so that's for for going in that direction and so um when you put together that report you talk to a number of people right so uh, and, and lucas actually tell us a little bit about the role that you played we haven't uh, heard much from you yet absolutely so um anders actually uh, contacted me about the report and um he contacted me initially about the uh, first sort of version of this report of a similar report from 2018 and um the one reason where it really resonated with me was the specifics of knowledge sharing, because um, I 
um, you know, I work as a as a freelancer. I work with a lot of agencies here in the UK. Um, I also have my own agency that I provide uh, expertise for clients. And one of the main things that you always look for are the likes of benchmarks, trends, you know, anything that you can basically take away and um, more easily explain some of the craziness happening online every now and again. And so when Anders contacted me and, you know, said that um, he would like to uh, cooperate on this and uh, collaborate on it and, uh, you know, actually be able to share this information with a lot of people. Um, I was on board pretty much right away from that one call that we had. And since then it, it grew and, uh, you know, we focused on our own kind of key strengths when it comes to, for example, me looking at, uh, you know, handling the data of the uh, of the responses and kind of helping out with that more, um, because that's kind of where some of my technical background is as well. Um, and, you know, basically syncing this together with uh, frequent calls with Anders that we had, mm -hmm. um, making sure that we synced our ideas together as well and our views on the data that is there, because as you can imagine yourself, you can, uh, extrapolate data in almost any way you know you would like it to look yeah, um, sure. but when we had the raw data we really wanted to make sure that you know what we were looking at we were describing it as impartially as possible and uh, so that's where a lot of back and forth was happening uh even up until the last few days actually so uh you know it's been it's been a, a very cool ride writing this report nice so let's talk about the report a bit uh so i think one of the first points about vuca and the world being so volatile what happened in 2020 and what's still happening in 2020, obviously, uh, but big impact on digital agencies, right? So uh, what, what are some of the numbers that you saw? Yeah, so the, I think the first big one, so you see it on the left side there, we we asked uh, the 20 agencies uh, that, that participated in the survey, we asked them, how, how bad were you hit? Um, so you got about, um, what is it, 15%, that was you know, no change, uh, plus minus 10%. You got the huge chunk, 50% uh, saying between 10 to 40% reduction in media spend. And you got a fairly large uh, chunk there uh, saying more than that. So 40 to 60% reduction in media spend. We also had other options there. We removed them because there, there was nobody responding. So, so we're looking at, at uh, agencies uh, suddenly having 40% of their media spend disappear. And as we know, a lot of the economic models are tied in some way into the spend, not 100%, but very few are on a retainer basis or on consultancy basis. So this means uh, they lose a lot of money. Uh, they lose a lot of activity. And then the other thing is that the rest of the activity is, you know, had to be changed. Uh, you had to do something, like everybody's in panic. Yeah, what do you do? And Lucas, what did you see from working with so many agencies? Did they actually just like stop working with those clients because it didn't make financial sense? Or did they put in a place uh, plans to sort of transition to to almost bridge with the expectation that things would be okay in a couple of months? So in certain cases, that's actually been the case that, uh, you know, there some of the agency client relationship has, has sort of ended because of that. Um, now, bearing in mind that the vast majority of agencies, particularly the big ones in the UK, uh, they do have very different clients in their portfolio. Uh, so that's where, you know, the impact was basically mostly in the sort of 40 to 60 percent uh, range. Um, but uh, yes, I, I definitely know of instances where uh, clients 
clients basically have stopped their relationships with the agencies because they were the most hit, particularly around tourism, you know, hotels and some retail as well. Um, although, as we will see later on as well, you know, retail was one of the areas, uh, particularly for uh, consumers that also thrived in this uh, in this time. Yeah. Honors, what did you see? Okay. So, so I mean, what, did you see anything different? I mean, let's talk about maybe the third wave, right? So I think some companies that we saw were trying to bridge the gap to uh, when things would get better, but now we're in that third wave. And like you're saying, you're going to find out any minute whether France has additional lockdowns, yeah. uh, which might be, and I hear restaurants and bars largely are having to close more again. Um, so are we seeing anything different or is this just kind of the same thing again? But, that the big movements is that, you know, so the agencies, what they saw straight away was, uh, you know, a number of advertisers would just cut spend. What happens in marketing as soon as there's uh, uncertainty is that you reduce risk. Um, as soon as you're into performance, you'll say, okay, I don't know how this is going to perform. I'm going to, I'm going to reduce risk. I'm going to do less. So everybody was doing less. And then the ones that were maintaining. Uh, so there's very few, uh, there are examples of, of, of growth. But they're very um, they're very niche related. So, so what what you see is that a lot of people resettling. Uh, resettling means you got to rethink everything. So, uh, in 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 the case of one of the one of the things that we saw that we asked a question about smart smart bidding overall, uh, what did you do when uh, when suddenly user behavior totally changed? Did you uh, could you, did you just you know continue as it was before? Um, and and you had like so. I actually thought it was fairly low. Uh, a fifth of, of people or a fifth of projects, uh, sort of on an average, uh, would have a totally changed uh, bidding strategy on that basis. I would have expected more like 75, actually. Um, but it, this all depends on the nature of the business that you're running and whether you're impacted or not. It's so it's so varied the way uh, the way the lockdown would, would uh, impact people. Of course. You know, anything related with travel would just shut down. Um, anything related with, with retail would be depending on the type of product development. And I think one of the big parts of the report is about the shift towards automation. And automation obviously is very helpful in these uncertain times. Um, but one of the, the points that you made, and let's talk about this, but if you put the wrong data in, the wrong prediction will come out. And I think part of the concern and what you guys were trying to investigate was, uh, has there been so much volatility in the current situation that the machine learning model is actually breaking and is not able to deal with this uh what's happening right now uh, and by the way i don't want to say the word too much because youtube doesn't like it when we do and then the video gets <laughs> so let's not say the word but we all so know that, right um so so um but yeah what did, what did you guys see in terms of the volatility caused by uh 2020 and and how did the machine learning models respond to that so, so uh, you know, just to to to, to reframe uh, this a little bit, when we talk about VUCA, so of course there's COVID, and there's lockdown, uh, but there's also uh, you know a couple of other things like uh, uh, terrorism, uh, like uh, the end of cookies, um, uh, and and there are and sort of and more and more AI and and also. Uh, uh, less data sometimes. So, so, so it's, it's actually a number of things that we're seeing. We're putting all these together under under the, the, the under the VUCA um, into the VUCA framework. Uh, the direct impact is, of course, easily more easily measurable on the COVID because it's such a 
such an abrupt, abrupt change. Um, and you know, and it, it was less visible than we uh, than we actually uh, expected. Uh, we see people um, adopt automated or machine learning based uh, bidding massively, huge increase uh, in, in, in adoption. Uh, we saw them, so we, we got we got feedback from uh, from uh, agencies saying uh, we use data analysts in uh, yeah. in comparably less uh, cases than we did before, which is sort of uh, that's yeah that's interesting, right? Because so so what's going on? Are they figuring the machine is just taking care of everything, and you no longer need a data analyst, or or you think that's a miscalculation? This is one of the places where we spend a lot of hours actually discussing. Yes. <laughs> It, it actually felt like kind of the outcome is almost, uh, you know, a, a two sides to a coin where on one hand, uh, there is less um, of an involvement of data analysts because there is more reliance on AI. But on the other side as well, um, it's not about the position of the data analyst. It's more that that insight into performance is actually being put on the marketer's shoulders. So where previously you would have a dedicated analyst that would be able to support you with some of these, uh, you know, analyses and basically uh, looking at different trends, looking at performance uh, with different impacts. Um, you now have this almost becoming a standard part of a marketer's job um, instead of focusing on the, you know, main platform changes and trends and, um, you know, creatives. And so what I'm showing here on the screen is the, uh, I guess, the answer to the question, do you have a dedicated analyst function attached to your projects? Mm -hmm. We also see the distribution on the left, right? Yes. So in, in 2018, uh, that uh, pie chart was uh, basically the other way around, where you know over 60% of respondents said that yes, they had a dedicated data analyst um, on their team attached to their projects. Um, obviously, this could also mean that you know the nature of the projects has changed a little bit. Um, maybe some of the uh, you know um, agencies don't really have such high-profile projects as much anymore. Um, you know, could be that some of that got watered down a little bit, if you will. Um, but it still suggests that there is quite a notable shift to how um, specifically data uh, within paid search is being managed. Mm -hmm. and, and there was a there was an interesting quote from uh, from Aaron uh, Aaron Levy from Tenuity, saying, you know, everybody wants data science, but nobody wants to pay for it. Uh, so, which is which sort of ties back to you know that question of uh, maybe advertiser uh, agency relationship, which is not always easy. Uh, so when do you pay for what? Um, and uh, yeah, there you have the, the quote. Um, so they look at the data they can see, but with tunnel vision. Um, uh, and, and I think we, we've got another uh, another approach on this one saying, well, um, there are uh, what we call black boxes, uh, you know, with the input, as you mentioned earlier, the input from one side, and then the prediction that comes out on the other side, and we don't really know what happens in between, but should we not be curious about it? And and we should, and we should have data analysts. Uh, so um, uh, yeah, it's a, um, uh, it's a, um, uh, it's, it's, it's a question we couldn't immediately say, okay, we're going to, we're going to look at the data and say, uh, in 2018, uh, there were uh, more data analysts or more people saying we have a data dedicated analyst. And in 2020, less people saying we have a dedicated analyst. Mm -hmm. We weren't happy saying, well, that means there's less data analysis because we think 
it's the opposite. Um, so it's probably a changing, changing roles within agencies or changing roles between advertisers, agencies, and maybe uh, consultancies. Uh, at least we know that there's a lot of things happening in this space. Yeah, and I want to bring up this slide here, right? So this is later in the report, but basically I think you're making the point that digital marketing is becoming much more of a black box, at least within the engines, right? As the Google, for example, automates bidding, automates ads through responsive search ads. We know a little bit less about what's happening. Um, and so maybe the assumption is, well, if we don't see the data, we don't get the metrics, we don't get the optimization levers the way that we did before, maybe there's not so much of a point for having a data analyst to do that work for us. Uh, but then I suppose the point you're making here and the kind of point we make at Optimizer too is that, yes, the role is shifting and you're not managing within that tiny bubble of Google Ads, but you're managing at the periphery of the black box of the machine learning system. And, uh, you know, Things happen in the black box, but if you don't like what's happening in the black box, or you want to make it a tiny bit better, you still have control over the inputs to that black box, right? And, and that also then goes to your point of uh, bad data in, bad results out. Absolutely. And and so an interesting take on this was, uh, so we, we've been discussing a lot on on, uh, on social media about this uh, as a warm up for the, for the release of the report. And, and I got one feedback saying, hey, um, you know, it's uh, we we tried we try out the uh, the smart bidding or the 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 automated solution, and um, and if it doesn't work, we're going to try another one. And it's like you know it used to be we test hypotheses, and now it's we test uh, algorithms. And then if one doesn't work, we'll try another one, and we'll try another one, and, and we'll try another one. So so the testing has moved level, right? It used to be we test an idea, now it's we test a tool or we test test an algorithm. Which yeah. is an interesting insight. I thought that was really interesting to see uh, uh, that type of uh, that type of approach. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, so when I wrote about it, it's like uh, it's the PPC role is becoming that of the PPC doctor, and basically think about prescribing mm -hmm. the right medicine to solve your problem. Yeah. Um, and even if you said, well, you should do automated bidding, well, there's like nine types of automated bidding just from Google alone, right? So it's not about flipping the switch. It's about, okay, test this one. And how is this one better than that one? And really understanding um, and picking your automation, first of all, and then within the scope of the automation that you've picked, how do you inform it about what success means to your business? What is a conversion? Um, you also ask some questions about lifetime value, right? And so what is the right way to help these automated systems drive better results? I, I actually kind of wanted to uh, slightly come back to your point about, uh, you know, being a paid search doctor in a way, because the, the one challenge that you have with the uh, black boxes um, within AI and, you know, trusting the inputs and outputs is that if you do go to a doctor, you have to tell him what your symptoms are so that you can actually analyze what is going on. And this is one of the biggest challenges uh, with using automation as it is at the moment and as it's becoming a bit more opaque is that you cannot actually see some of those symptoms. You cannot really analyze them the same way. So your input may not have changed at all, but suddenly your output may be changing uh, because of something you cannot actually fully identify. Um, you know, it, it starts by removing some search terms. I mean, we have known on social media where people are sharing their accounts, you know, the impact is up to 50% of their search terms in terms of their cost. Uh, 
is uh, basically you know dark. They cannot they cannot identify where that's going, um, and uh, you know it, it goes to average positions um, as well. You know that's been a changed a little while ago now, but people are still kind of double checking and wondering where they're ads are actually still appearing right now. Um, because if you don't have much competition on um, the platform They're certainly still paying for them. It just, it's a mystery what, yeah. Well, exactly, exactly. And, and you know, when you don't have much competition on some of your results, position one could be above the results, it could be below the results, and there's very different traffic volume for, for those two instances. Um, so you can find yourself in a position where suddenly you don't really know why suddenly all your traffic has disappeared or why suddenly, you know, you have to pay more um, without really knowing, you know, or ha having really changed anything on the input side of things. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Julien, uh, you seem French by that last name, uh, but it's a good question right there. Um, so is the problem not the fact that we have automation, but who's pushing the automation and uh, that the incentives might be misaligned? I have an opinion on that, so I'll definitely answer that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, I think there might be three opinions on this one. <laughs> you guys start. Lucas? Um, I think we agree. I think, no, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I think we we will definitely have a very similar opinion, uh, Anders and I, uh, as we found from you know working on the report, we are very much on the same page. Um, I think for me, it's uh, basically just trying to understand you know some of the logic behind what's going on. Um, I don't think that any particular platform has any reason, um, you know, necessarily to uh, basically just do something that wouldn't necessarily be amazing. Um, for marketers, um, but there's also, you know, some um, some thoughts behind that. That's not the case. Um, I think for me, um, basically, the the whole idea of paid search in history and up until now has been that everything is so transparent. You can track everything down to a single penny you spend, and you know, you will be able to show your results. This is now basically changing the fundamentals of what paid search would be for me because I cannot explain everything. Yeah, I, so very similar. We, uh, we're we moving away from raw data. I mean, it, it's always been like this with the platform. So if we look at not just you know the search engines, but look at uh, Facebook, Amazon, whatever, um, they are platforms where basically, uh, uh, no, if you have a website, you own the website, you pay for the hosting, you are the owner of the data that, that sort of runs through that platform. If you have a Facebook page, you are not the owner of the page, of the data, of anything. You you are you sign a contract with Mark, um, or you go on Amazon, and well, basically all the data. So they're very generous in Amazon. They give you a lot of data. Facebook is very um, are very good designers. They, they give you beautiful graphs back. Right, that's the insight you get. But the raw data. You don't get it. And it's like, we've forgotten this because we've just gotten used to it. It's like, well, okay, on Facebook, you can't track, you know, and why is that? Well, it's because it's Facebook and okay, yes, uh, on my website, I can, on Facebook, I can, on Amazon, I can get a lot of data, but not necessarily something that corresponds to what I get in other places. And it's like, so, so that's one side of, the, of, of this. We don't get access to the raw data anymore. We get the data they want to give us. So that's one thing. The other thing, when going back to search, something quite interesting. I, I think uh, this was again. This was Aaron again. He said, uh, "Search isn't growing anymore. 
he said, well, yeah, of course, you look at the number of searches, whatever, the nature is changing, there's more Cortana, there's more other stuff. But the, so the volume of searches that people do is not growing anymore. Um, so that's one thing. On the other side, and you can tell me more about this, Fred, but uh, I don't think the CPCs are increasing anymore. I think you know we've really reached some kind of some kind of ceiling uh, or saturation level where if the CPCs, the cost per click goes any higher, nobody's going to go there because it, they they just can't find any profitability in 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 doing ads on a CPC basis. Right, and I think that's why, and, and you guys pointed out in the report, but quality score is the original machine learning system. And that's why Google has it, because in an ideal world, every single search that happens leads to the most expensive and profitable click. Mm -hmm. um, and yes, you're right, you're gonna be capped at some level on how high that CPC can go, right? So what Google is ultimately trying to do is like, okay, who's that consumer who's actually willing to convert and who's gonna click? And that gets combined with the price. And so Google doesn't really think about CPCs. And that's the weird thing. Like the analysts, the business analysts are always like, where are CPCs going? It's like Google doesn't care where the CPCs are going. They care about CPM. I mean, because that's the one thing they control. They can have like, okay, if we have a better search engine and we can get more searches, then we'll make more money because we have a good CPM. CPC, nobody cares because we only get paid if somebody clicks. And if we have, I mean, we could have million dollar CPCs and nobody clicks on an ad and nobody makes any money, right? Yeah. Um, right, and, and to reach that, and to reach that yeah. goal, I mean, if if uh, if if the the optimizer, oh, that's you know, the, the data marketer, uh, is uh, is focused on the CPC and the keyword, and trying to optimize that, but what the engine wants to do is the CPM. They have this incentive of not giving you all the raw data, and then you know, stuffing in whatever CPM. Uh, no, more, more volume into in, into into your coverage, and and right. so there's sort of a there's sort of a move a shift from well, it's not volume anymore, it's not uh, CPC anymore, it's sort of the density of what you can get out of that data, and and so that's my interpretation as well. The the less we can let people look into this, the better we can monetize it. I, right. think, that's I think, in my opinion, it's also to do with the fact that. Um, you have very you have many many advertisers, right, and very few of them are true experts, um, like the three of us might be and the people watching this call. So a lot of people are gonna make really bad decisions if you give them too much data. Um, and so average position, case in point, I mean, everybody was like so focused on position one, quality score, everybody's focused on having a super high quality score and then they forget that, yeah, maybe your quality score for keyword is actually one of your most profitable. Um, and so I think that's what Google is fighting against. So you made the point that Facebook is much more about pretty graphs, but Facebook also came into play when machine learning was at a far, uh, much further along, and they were able to do some things where they didn't have to ask the advertiser for every single little detail. You know, we started in AdWords, like there was no conversion tracking. Uh, <laughs> there was no quality score. There was, I mean, so many things that we take for granted. There was no search terms report. I mean, we're complaining now about losing some of our search terms. When I started doing advertising, there were zero. We did not know. We bought a keyword, we paid a CPC for that, and that was it. We do nothing. We just kind of looked at the bottom line of the business and did we have more money in the bank at the end of the month or not? And that was the gauge of success, right? And so I think in a way, Google Ads and AdWords put themselves in that position where it's very hard to now start reducing the data, even if they think that that would actually be the better way to get more advertisers to be successful. But granted, super um, frustrating to experts like ourselves because that's the data that we've used to optimize. And, and I think the point you're making is, 
data is the new oil in the world, right? Nothing is more valuable than uh, it used to be oil. Now, now it's all about data. Um, and so you need to have that raw data rather than the process data with the results already like fed, yeah. fed to you. We um, we actually ended up coming up with our own quote. We, so we used a lot of quotes every time we've, there's something we want to we, we want to sort of express. We used the quotes from all the experts, but we had to put in our own quote at one point, which was, which is, um, uh, can can you monetize? Can you can you extract more value from your data than if you give it to a platform? It's like it's sort of this 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 question of who controls it and should you keep it or should you give it away to. Uh, whatever uh, Google, Facebook, Amazon. Um, I think that illustrates sort of the importance. It's one of the it's one of the sort of the, the orientations that we think are uh, are really important to start controlling your own data, to start uh, protecting your own data. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't you know uh, make it flow. Uh, flowing data between platforms is extremely important to be get better insights. Um, but you need to consider every time you do that and consider what data am I using? What am I giving away? Uh, is there anything that I could uh, keep on, on my end instead of uh, letting somebody else monetize it? Um, uh, I think that's quite uh, quite an interesting point and, and quite an important one that we're recommending at the, uh, sort of in the last part of the report. Yeah. And then there's always the speculation like uh, Jitin is mentioning here. So Google said reducing the data was due to privacy concerns. Uh, yeah. But was that really the case, or are they trying to uh, to hide something? Listen, I'm ex Google. Um, maybe I've drank the Kool Aid, but I do believe that when they say it's for privacy reasons, there's probably at least some level of truth to that. I mean, you think about it really hard, you could actually start to figure out cases where um, you could construct sort of an interesting picture of a user um, that gets into personal details, like what diseases they might have, what their financial situation might be. Um, it's not easy to do, but it can be done. And, and I think that's where Google is coming from. Um, what I wish though, is that Google would actually respond by giving us maybe like Facebook does give us more of the process data, right? If you're not going to give us the raw insight, then at least help us figure out the search term commonalities where the privacy concerns have been addressed, but you can mm -hmm. tell us, well, okay, we kind of think that maybe saw an example that logo design and trademarking are close variants of one another. Logo design and trademarking, very different, right? Like that's the type of thing we'd want to know so that we can make it a negative keyword. But so Fred, to that, I, I think this is, I, you know, I think this is really interesting and a really interesting question. I And I came to this, uh, you know, I think this was in relation with with Amazon. Again, I, there was this, uh, there were figures out in the market saying that 42% of uh, view, reviews on Amazon are fake. Um, right. Okay. Wild, crazy. Yeah. Uh, so, so we have these big engines, and they're capable. And you said it in the beginning. They're capable of finding people who have an intent. Yeah. So they're capable of finding people who are ready to buy, ready to whatever. But it seems that they're not as clever at finding out people who have a bad intent. Yeah. So people who who who, who leave fake reviews or people who uh, who use the data in the wrong way. It seems that they, they, now they're reluctant. Of course, it's not, you know, it's not profitable, is it? But I do think they have some kind of responsibility with the data to, to, you know, to weigh those two sides equally. One is, okay, for commercial purposes and for protective purposes. But is the right thing then to cut off the data or is it to analyze the data like they do on the other side? You know, I'd go into the second direction and say, well, you know, 
guys, you are the cleverest uh, engines in the world. Uh, apply your knowledge to the bad stuff as well as the good stuff. Yeah, apply the apply what you know to how to do to to your own processes as well. Yeah. yeah. All right, good. Anders, I know you wanted to uh, share some slides and uh, let's maybe get some takeaways. Like, what is it uh, based on the report and what you've seen that you think agencies and PPC advertisers can do to put themselves in a great position to uh, thrive in the VUCA world? Yeah, I, I wanted to give uh, sort of a, a couple of uh, a couple of views of, of what's inside. Um, and uh, so, uh, you know, what we have in the center there is a it's the coronavirus, isn't it? It's uh, sort of with all the scary stuff here. Um, a couple of extracts from the report. Uh, we asked we asked questions that were sometimes uh, for fun, but there was a question in the beginning: What is volatile? Uh, it's or what is what is VUCA? It's it's not just COVID. It's lockdown. Yes, of course. It's also face masks. Yeah. Uh, it's like well, you know, human behavior is changing. Uh, it's like uh, you don't. Uh, book a ticket in the same uh, time frame as you did before when you're going somewhere because you don't know if you're allowed to. It is also protest movements. It's terrorism. Uh, it's economic recession. We're going to see this coming. You know, I think. Yeah, I think it's 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 showing in various places. All of this makes things more volatile. Um, so all of these things influence uh, what we're doing as as digital marketers. So a little bit of VUCA in digital. Uh, COVID-19, end of cookies, and AI. Sort of in, in a summary, uh, the three big things that we were looking at, and then how to hold uh, or to build firm ground on uh, below you. So we saw this already. I think you showed it uh, just before that the hit that uh, digital marketing agencies or the ones that we surveyed uh, took uh, during the sanitary crisis or the lockdown. Um, and then this big question here, do you think AI will be performing your, your current job in the future? 90% uh, of them, uh, of the survey, uh, of the respondents said, no, we don't think so. Yeah, that's uh, really interesting, right? What's going on there? I mean, people don't think automation is uh, going to do the work they do today, or they think... I, so what I, what I, yeah, no, I think, I think they're uh, quite pragmatic about, well, the machines have been there all the time and they're coming all the time and we're still we don't we still haven't lost our jobs on the contrary we've actually got better jobs uh, so i think that's the that's the reason why they respond in this way but i also think that they're very aware of the fact that uh, you know the scope as we talk about this is in one of the chapters the scope of work of the machine is moving into the scope of work of the human right so so the role is different like uh, like you mentioned in, in, in your book so uh, quite an interesting insight. I wanted to sort of quantify this as well and, and, uh, and give it some, uh, some depth. Um, so and this is one for you, Fred. <laughs> the smart bidding, the end of bid tools, yeah? Uh, you know, I, I was also... Well, well let me answer that. Sorry? <laughs> I'll answer that. Yeah, tell me. So, I mean, I think it's very simple, right? So people have this uh, misconception and they think automated bidding is set it and forget it. By no means. The only thing that automated bidding does is it takes your goal, which is usually ROAS or CPA, which, by the way, they're not very good goals. Like your actual goal should be profit, but whatever. Google gives you T ROAS and T CPA. Okay, so now you get these two goals, and all Google does in its automation is calculate the predicted conversion or the predicted click rates, and they calculate the CPC from that. It's something that we used to do on spreadsheets, right? 
what they're not looking at is how do things outside of um, you know what what's happening inside Google. So how does the outside world? How do my promotions? How do those things change? What's happening and what the prediction should be? So uh, to me, it's kind of crazy when I see advertisers come in and they set a target CPA and then they walk away and two months later they come back and they check it out again. No, like your targets should still evolve just as much as they used to in the past. Um, <laughs> but it's uh, you know it's. It just Google does part of it. You still need to manipulate the uh, the inputs. And I think it's very much to the point that you made too, right? You got a black box that's doing some calculation. It doesn't mean you don't have control over inputs. It's just that the inputs have shifted out to uh, a little bit further from where they used to be. Um, and thanks for the comment, Jit, and you uh, you kind of made me laugh. <laughs> my point, but once a Googler, always a Googler. Um, that's, a, that's also the point, by the way, why Optimizer has never been a bid management company. We've never positioned ourselves as a bid management company because I fundamentally believe that Google is the only one in the world that can do the auction time bidding. And they're the only ones that have as much data. They're the only ones with the machine learning capabilities that they do. And for any other company to try to fight that is just crazy. You got you to gotta figure out how to take the best of what Google does, but then still control it. Right? How do you control your inputs, and how do you measure the outputs to make sure that the machine is not doing something that's not great for your business? Personally, I find that there's a huge level of sort of complacency when it comes to automated bidding, especially in a lot of agencies, um, where you will actually find that you know 90% of your time you can almost set the AI bidding and let it do its job, and it will still kind of do a good performance for you. But it's it's those times when something goes wrong, or you know when you have a promotion that suddenly skews the data, whether it's a promotion before you started applying automated bidding or a promotion within. Um, suddenly, as soon as you have an impulse that basically the tool cannot really account for directly, that's where everything kind of falls apart sometimes. Uh, so this is where um, I, I even feel like sometimes the way that uh, some of the platforms sell automated bidding, where they sell, uh, you know, where they say things like, oh, the tool is learning for two weeks, so you shouldn't really touch it for two weeks. I, I understand there is some sort of analysis time, you know, that time period for, for this to happen, but you should never really be, especially within paid search, in a position that you cannot really change. And let me jump on that, right? So we're getting very tactical here. The reason that Google says don't touch stuff is at some level not because they're scared that you're going to make smart tweaks based on what's happening in your business, but it's because when you change your targets, you might become eligible for fewer or more auctions. And now the, the search terms mix, the query mix is changing. And as the query mix changes, those might be new searches that Google has never really seen before. And so they might drag down the performance. And then the fear from Google is that this is hard to explain to a user that you've changed your target, stuff is moving. And like there's some portion that Google has already learned about. They know the, the, the queries that are staying the same, they're gonna continue to perform at the same level they were before, no matter how much you change your target. But it's all that new stuff, right? And now the users sitting there looking at their overall reports and they see, oh my God, my CPA is way up. Mm -hmm. They freak out and they like pull back on the automated bidding when in fact it was like one really small portion of the automated bidding that was now learning again. Um, and so th that, that's what's so difficult from Google's perspective is how do you communicate that and how do you get the average advertiser to make a reasonable decision based on what's happening? 
Mm-hmm. But it's it's exactly kind of this level of you know not knowing that does feed the black box as well, uh, not just from you know the optimization point of view, but even from actually being able to make the correct decision. Um, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head before when you said that it's not necessarily about not having access to all the data. Um, you know, we have had less data before, we've had more data before, but it's more about understanding why some of these changes are happening as well that will basically set an advertiser's mind at ease, um, you know, rather than go into crazy conspiracy theories that uh, basically platforms want to make more money. Well, and sort of knowing what to plan for the future, right? So if we mm-hmm. see. I mean, RSA versus ETA is a really good um, topic here. So responsive search ads, that's kind of the way forward. Uh, But Google hasn't really officially announced the deprecation of expanded text ads. However, in the interface now, if you want to make a new ad, RSA is the default. And in fact, it's very difficult to find how to do an ETA. You still can, but Google really disincentivizes it at some level. And so now what we're doing is like, oh my God, is Google going to pull this? Is it going to be this year? Is it going to be next year? Like... Or is nothing else going to change? Is it just always still going to be there and we just have two options? Um, and it's that volatility and the uncertainty, like you say in your report, that's what makes it tough because how do I plan for my business when I don't know if Google, and, and by the way, search terms reports and that change was basically announced on the day that it happened. Yes. Uh, so everybody's scrambling, right? Nobody likes to scramble, especially when we're already in 2020 and every day feels like a scramble. <laughs> so give us some heads up, right? <laughs> That is that is entirely true, yeah. And uh, you know, this is I think this is the one point where uh, marketers, no matter how long you've been doing this job, you just feel extra uncertain about because um, we are never in a position where we can easily make uh, you know uh, um, where we can easily understand why a change has happened. We're we're not privy to some of the thinking uh, that the platforms are doing behind these changes, and uh, you always find yourself in the middle between a client and a platform. You know, one of them changes something, and then you still need to make sense of it. Um, this kind of feeds our view that uh, we've got in the report as well. That basically, especially when it comes to AI, you need to continually test and retest and reset your tests, and you know, basically never really stop. Um, where previously you wouldn't necessarily have to do it as often as you might do now. Um, but yeah, it's it's just one of those things where I think uh, extra information. Uh, would really be helpful for a lot of advertisers. Yeah. Hey, let me switch topics here for a minute and we'll go back to uh, others and the report. But uh, some of the viewers are saying, make this actionable. So uh, so here's a script that you can download. Uh, it's a geo anomaly detector, right? So we're talking about uncertainty, fluctuation. One thing that's been very challenging for people is that in 2020, the world has completely unflattened. Uh, and the point that I make is that when I used to go to conferences, when I could still get on a plane, Uh, Every city in the world that I go to, they have a Starbucks, guaranteed. Um, So if you were Starbucks, it was really easy. You could just market to all these places and basically know that there's going to be a Starbucks no matter where people are searching from. But now um, there might be a Starbucks, but it could be closed or it could be very limited in store capacity or it might be to-go orders only, Um, right? So how do you stay on top of that? Because I live in California. I have no clue what's happening in New York. I have even less of a clue what's happening in Paris and London where you guys live, (laughs) right? So, uh, but the numbers will actually tell me that story. And so here's a script that you can download and it'll basically pick up and say, oh, there seems to be anomalous behavior in a certain specific location. And that could be a country, could be a state, could be a city. Um, And now you know to go and investigate that, right? So 
Um, so that's a script that can really take some of that uncertainty and that volatility that we've talked about and at least give you more insight into where that volatility is happening so you can respond to it. Mm -hmm. Anyway, that's a little sidetrack. No, it's great because it's it's the kind of thing when when we you know we we discussed COVID as well as an opportunity with Lucas. We 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 felt that this is a great occasion for people to you know take a step back and look at the bigger picture, unplug the data, rethink a bit, and then plug it back in afterwards. Yeah, um, because most of the time when you're in you know you're optimizing. So this whole business of you're optimizing, 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 you're starting somewhere. But maybe you started in the wrong place. And when do you have the opportunity actually to step step back and look at the bigger picture again, and then and then and then try out, which is something you know that people need to do, and it's also something that we're actually recommending in the report to sort of make cycles, optimization cycles that have an end. Yeah. So just don't just carry on with the same thing you already did. Uh, you know, unplug sometimes and you know, bigger picture. So a script like that to alert you to okay, here is something. You know, maybe you need to uh, just step step back and, and and have a have a broader view of the uh, of the data. It's interesting. Yeah. Well, and since we're talking about scripts, I'll put one more up on the screen. This is actually from Niels Roymans. Uh, but we were talking about search terms, right? So this is a, an anomaly detector for search terms, basically rising and declining search terms, all nicely put onto a spreadsheet. Um, hint, hint. You can also do this in Optimizer without a script, but Here's a script if you want to do it for free. Um, but yeah, so that's another one that helps people deal with volatility. All right. So we're uh, only about 10 minutes left. So Anders, show us uh, maybe some more of the slides that you yeah, think. Yeah, maybe I'll, 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 I'll um, run. And then we'll give people the link for uh, that report. This so we asked people about so one of the, these big things that is that is happening is uh you know this ITP in uh, Safari that came you know years ago already so all the Safari browsers would start you know removing cookies so they started with the third party cookies and then they actually went into the the, the first party cookies as well at one point um, we uh, so ITP has been updated we called uh, I think in the report we uh, we got a little funny and called the last update the uh, Dory update. You remember Dory from uh, from Finding yeah. Nemo? This yeah. fish, you know, forgets everything every thirty seconds. Like if you have a website and somebody comes to see you, will say, "Oh, hello, welcome to my website." And then, uh, uh, "How are you today?" And then, you know, next day they come back and say, "Oh, hello, how are you? Welcome to my website. I've never seen you before." Like I'm, I'm just purging the data every day because the cookies are not sticking in the browser. It's just a funny uh, image of this, but but the trend goes on, and Google have announced that they will remove third-party cookies from the browsers. I think they extended the date a bit. I think we're talking about uh, 2022. Doesn't really matter. The, the, the end of cookies is arriving. Um, and this will have an impact on digital marketing to, you know, big time. Uh, and and we've got, so we ran this, uh, we ran this as a survey as well on LinkedIn just a couple of days ago. And, and, and you know, in this case, you're seeing 35% of people saying, yes, we feel that we're prepared for this. Um, you know, we didn't we didn't dig in uh, to how did you do this because you know there isn't much you can actually do. You know, you don't know what's going to happen. Nobody knows what's going to be possible or not. On LinkedIn, we had a twenty five percent. I think in this in the poll, we had twenty five percent saying we we feel ready for this. But a lot of people are like, well, okay, we, you know, we just gonna have to wait and see what what becomes possible and impossible. But it's going to change the whole nature of the of the digital marketing ecosystem. So so that's one of the biggies uh, that that people need to think about in the future. Uh, let's move on to to the next view here. Have you started planning for this? Well, yes, a lot of people have started. 
planning, but they still don't feel prepared for it. Um, uh, very uh, obviously, will it impact uh, your choice of technology stack? Um, uh, certainly for a third of them. I mean, I think there's a lot of technology vendors out there who are gonna, who are gonna say, wow, this is a good time for us. Volatile uh, times are, are good for business, are good for uh, making people change their minds. Um, it's, uh, you know, a lot of uncertainty about how this is gonna pan out. I mean, so we're feeling, you know, we're giving directions on certain things, but, but you know, uh, people are lost, I think, in, 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 in this setting. We, um, we tried to chart out uh, some of the things. And I think what the first thing here is, uh, we, we try to give dimensions to, to some of these things that we're, we're seeing happening. There, there are things that have to do with the human uh, versus the machine versus the data. Uh, some of them are more human and data. How do we, you know, how do we work? Uh, some of them are more uh, human versus machine. Uh, what kind of technology are we using? Um, we try to describe these uh, six things. Oh, biggest single recommendation to prepare for the end of cookies. Oh my God. Uh, I think we're going to get back to this. Yeah. Uh, I'll ask Lucas. Um, so we, we came up with, with, with six things that we find in, uh, important. We talked about we talked about one of them already, the one called deciphering black boxes. Basically saying, okay, this is black box. I don't know what's happening inside, but I want to try to understand as much as I can about it. So that's one. We talked a little bit about strategy versus performance, which is sort of a big challenge there of saying, okay, am I looking long term maybe or just short term? And how can I uh, make these things actually work together? Um, the variable technology, am I going to have to update my technology on the basis of the things that are happening? And there was this one, uh, you know, this is a funny one, the death by optimization. Um, it, it's uh, sort of a one that you can run into if you optimize too hard and you'd be too short term, basically, um, uh, where, you know, if you, if you don't, if you don't sort of step back sometimes, purge the data, uh, take that broader view, uh, you're going to optimize yourself into uh, very tiny business uh, amounts. Yeah. Um, and finally, you know, the, the one up there, uh, sort of very much the, the human dimension of remotely anywhere or, or working from working from anywhere, which is becoming something. So we we uh, in the survey, it's quite interesting. There's a there was 20 agencies responding, and we had, uh, I think we had uh, uh, two to four of them uh, either already going 100% remote, no offices, um, or uh, in the process of going there, which is sort of very, very big steps in terms of organization. I mean, how you organize a, a business to not have an office anymore, crazy stuff. So, so these, are, these are sort of the big dimensions that we, that we touch upon at the, at the end of the report. Um, so, um, as we're almost uh, at the end, uh, I think uh, I think this is uh, uh, this is the final slide. I think you you showed the uh, the discount code code already, didn't you, uh, Fred, on the screen? Did we did? Again, uh, discount code. Um, awesome. And so, Lucas, uh, while people can download the report here, let's talk about those two tactical questions. What is your single biggest yeah. recommendations about uh, the end of cookies? And then uh, also asking how will remarketing shape the VUCA world without cookies? Yeah, so Take the that's second one first. <laughs> uh, that, that's basically where the uh, biggest impact will be uh, because without cookies you get basically less data so your remarketing will then be 
therefore less efficient. Um, now, I'm very pragmatic in, in my view of um, the sort of whole cookie removal in that, um, yes, there will not be any cookies, but the platforms will still be able to track users and what they do online. And uh, what this means is that as an advertiser, um, it's, it's almost a little bit of a wait and see game uh, from my point of view, because um, I need to see what the new developments will be that will basically, uh, you know, depreciate cookies, but then it will sprout new tracking methods. And, and I, I suppose that, like the high level, it just means that if you have a website, like really find reasons to encourage users to be logged in, give them benefits mm -hmm. being logged in, because that is the thing that then enables you to track without a cookie. Uh, and that enables you to to track across sessions. I mean, tracking within sessions very easy. Just put mm -hmm. stuff in the URL. There's no cookie needed for that. Um, but across sessions, that's where you want to have that logged in user. Yes. So I mean, that does think about those types of scenarios, and and it does mean maybe installing a little bit of a different technology stack and thinking about tracking in a different way. Um, but it's certainly not undoable. And, and the other thing, I mean, we're already looking at the removal of third-party cookies, and those are usually more of the sketchy cookies, right? To be honest, like mm -hmm. I think a lot of people don't really have that big of a problem with first-party cookies because they are the thing that helps make for a better experience on individual websites. It's more that okay, I just visited, um, you know, a financial website, and now Facebook got that data. Like I did not actually go to Facebook and. Like, why did that happen? And that's what confuses users. That's why it's a bit nefarious in some cases. Uh, and watch the movie, The Social Dilemma on Netflix, if you don't understand what's happening with all of that. Fantastic movie, The Social Dilemma, um, right? But uh, yeah, users don't want to be manipulated by the artificial intelligence machine to buy stuff they don't need. I think interestingly as well, we kind of get a little bit of a visibility or more visibility on uh, you know some of these cookie changes uh, here in Europe, um, because the changes to GDPR, which is uh, basically data protection, uh, means that uh, you now, uh, as a website owner, have to show exactly which cookies you want users to sign up for, and basically allow you to uh, you know track them across your website journey. So uh, you've got your necessary ones for the running of the website. Um, and then you've got all of the additional ones, such as all the social cookies and everything else. And you can opt in or opt out uh, individually uh, between those uh, if you're willing to invest that time. Um, the vast majority of users still just click on accept all. But I think generally speaking, there's about a 20% drop off in terms of you know the data that you will be able to track just by asking whether people will accept those cookies or not. Yeah, I want to give my very quick uh, answer to those two questions. The first question was, will remarketing be in trouble? And the answer is yes. Uh, and you know, hopefully all the bad stuff will die off and then there'll be some intelligent use of, of user data. And the second one was, what is the one biggest recommendation uh, in the sort of in the, in the end of cookies is, well, get direct relationships with your end clients via email or some other you know, uh, way of having that, uh, of owning uh, that data of your relationship with clients. If, if you only have access to your clients via, I don't know, via notifications or via um, uh, audiences or via uh, Amazon or via some other intermediary, uh, you're probably going to lose a lot of that access. So build your proprietary data on, on users and get direct relationship with them is my one piece of big advice there. Good advice. 
Well, gentlemen, thank you for writing the report. Thanks for offering a, a bunch of copies for free to our audience. Um, thanks for joining me. And we will be back with PPC Town Hall. Uh, we're taking a few weeks off, but November 18th, we'll be back with a smart bidding session. Uh, we're going to get uh, philosophical, but also very tactical. We're going to have Google on the call to tell us what they think about smart bidding. And I will tell you, uh, given what Google believes we should do, how you can still manipulate it, still optimize it using Optimizer and other tools. So uh, definitely a topic that I know is uh, close to a lot of people's hearts. So uh, keep watching. Thank you for watching today and have a great rest of your day. Thanks, Fred.